Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. All right, we're going to get into the Word this morning, and I have a word for you. Um, I've entitled it, An Us, Not an I. And you'll understand what I mean by that when we get into it, An Us, Not an I. Before we get into the Word, there was just three announcements that were given to me that I just want to share with everyone. First one, we are going to have our candlelight Christmas Eve service. How many of you know Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday? So it's going to be this week coming on the 24th, obviously. What? Yep, one week from today. Thanks, you, Matthew. Uh, we're going to have two normal services, 9 and 11 o'clock, but we're going to have a special candlelight at both, so you can choose either one. We're going to have a kids' choir. How many of you guys ready for a kids' choir? Can't wait to see how that works out. That's always exciting and dangerous at the exact same time, so just trusting the Lord with that. Uh, we're going to have all types of activities during the service, and you're going to be blessed by it. I just want people to know that because we have our children's involve, involvement in the service, uh, we are only going to have childcare for five and under. So if you have any children five and under, otherwise you could bring them into the service and they could be here. It's going to be enjoyable. They're going to like it because it's going to be tailored towards them as well as towards us. Amen. Uh, there's a few invite cards. If you come in, you might have seen some invite cards. You could use those just to invite people out. It's a great opportunity. Uh, people are really open to come to church and to hear about the Lord, So especially during this season. So please, at your job, where you're at, invite some people. That'll be a blessing. Amen. Okay. Second announcement. The Wednesday after our Christmas Eve Sunday service, that Wednesday the 27th, all services will be canceled in the house, so we will not be having youth or middle school ministries or our children's ministries or our weekly midweek prayer meeting. So everything will be canceled that Wednesday. So the 27th, make sure you have that down. And then lastly, I just want to remind everyone, if you'd like to give here at Springs Church, you could do it in three ways, right? You could go online. And you can hit the donate tab on our website at springs.church. You could give through our app or you could give through our donation boxes that are actually in the back of the, the sanctuary after service by the exit doors. Three ways that you could give. Uh, we are raising funds for our end of a year giving to put a playground outside for our children. Um, I just want to encourage everyone. I know it's been a, a tough year, but if you are looking to give something at the end of the year to a ministry, that's going to be a great place to give. How many of you know we got a lot of kids in this house? A lot of children. Peyton knows. She watches almost all of them, right? We have so many children. And how many of you know we want to create an environment here that they are growing up and they're finding their community and they're finding their family in the house of God? I want them to find it here, not out there. And I want them to have a blast and have fun. So would you just dream with me of building maybe a playground area that after services they can go and hang out and they could connect with other kids their own ages. And we want to give that to them. So if you want to give towards the end of the year, you could just put that down on your giving towards the playground and we'll get that designated into the right area. Amen? All right. Let's get into the word this morning. And us, not an I. In us, not an I. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss title, doesn't it? We've been in a little bit of a mini sermon series talking about spiritual warfare over the last couple of weeks going into Christmas. Um, we were all taken back by the attack on Israel in October, 
And it caused a lot of Christians to start scratching their heads. Um, between COVID, the illogical behavior of our leaders, the push for woke politics, the, the rapid social contagion of sex change among our young people, the Ukraine war, and now Israel, something is happening. I mean, we are accelerating towards a worldwide economic and societal breakdown. And the question is why? And one of the reasons, and we talked about this a little bit, is that God will always judge the nations when they turn their backs on him. You, you cannot champion the murder of babies in the womb or people changing their sex on a whim or oppressing the poor and the needy through corporate greed and not expect somehow that God's judgment isn't going to fall. But part of God's judgment, and one of the things that is necessary before the return of Christ, is an outbreak and an outpouring of a spiritual warfare that we're all going to experience in these days and in the days ahead. A spiritual warfare that's going to focus its attention specifically on Jewish people and on Christians alike. And we've been talking about this. We've been trying to give some context of what's happening around in the world that we're seeing. And, and we went through Revelation chapter 12 and we said, this is the dragon. When he's thrown out of heaven, he's going to go after the male child. When Christ comes, and not only that, but he'll go after his own mother and the people of God and those that hold to the testimony of Christ. And we went through Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been through from the scriptures just showing what this warfare is and, and how it begins to happen. As believers in Christ, we are called to do two things in the midst of warfare. And number one, this is important, we are not to be afraid. Okay, we have to remind ourselves that this is not our battle. This is not ours, this is the Lord's, this is God's fight. I'm not the one fighting, he's the one. And the scripture says that he's already won through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, look at this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, it says this, he made a public spectacle of them, trying, triumphing over them by what? By the cross. Now, what powers and authorities? The ones that are spoken about in Ephesians chapter 6, the devil and his armies of demons that are lying to and accusing the nations to try to lead them away from God. The scripture says that Jesus has destroyed the power of Satan through his death and through his resurrection. And not only has he destroyed the power of Satan, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection, now God's power, his presence, his authority has come out from the Holy of Holies and now has entered into human hearts. And it's breaking the influence of the devil's lies over my, the minds of people. Satan's accusations, Satan's deceptions no longer have power over us. And Satan's accusations before the throne of God no longer have a legal standing through the cross. But the second thing that we're called to do, according to Ephesians chapter 6, is we are called to be strong in the Lord and to put on the full armor of God and to stand. See, even though the Holy Spirit and the Word of God exposes Satan's deceptions, his lies, and his accusations, that doesn't mean that his lies and his accusations stop coming. It doesn't mean that he just goes away. And we need to actually understand Satan's schemes in our own individual lives, in our families, in our churches, and throughout our nations. In fact, Jesus said it like this. Let me put this up on the screen. Because he said it in Luke chapter 14. Ready? Verse 31 and 32. He says, 
Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's still a long way off, and he'll ask for terms of peace. Jesus says that if you want to be my disciples, you need to consider the incredible resources that you have through the gospel, but you also have to consider what's going on in the enemy's camp. You need to understand how the enemy plans to attack, and then you need to be strong in the Lord, and you need to resist him. What does the Bible say? Resist the devil, and he will do what? Scripture says he will flee. But the fact that God calls us to be strong in him, that means that being strong in the Lord is one of the key areas that Satan will attack. Does that make sense? See, Satan knows the Bible. He knows the directions. He knows the teachings of Jesus. And the fact that God says that we need to be strong in him and in his mighty power is one of the areas that the enemy knows that he has to attack and he has to stop us before we actually do it. He knows the way that we're gonna be, he's gonna be able to win is if he stops us from being strong in the Lord. In fact, look at what Ephesians chapter six says again. I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 12. I'll read it to you. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? We had discussed this just a little bit a few weeks ago. We had said to be strong in the Lord means to have a multi-dimensional hope as a Christian. We need a hope that is both realistic and supernatural. A hope that is not mundane, but not naive. It has to be multi-dimensional. It has to be completely engulfed in the gospel. All facets of what the gospel is and how it plays out of our life has to be part of this hope. But it's more than just that. See, I want you to get this, and this is important. I want you to write this down. You cannot be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power if you don't know who the Lord is. You have to know who the Lord is, and listen to this, and you have to know how he created you to be. Let me try to explain. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, and I'm going to read two quick verses in Genesis chapter 1 through the creation account. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And then I'm going to jump over to Genesis chapter 2 and I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. Listen to what this says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Now I want you to circle that word, us. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Now, in chapter two, verse 18, it says this. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, when you read through the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, on the surface, everything seems really straightforward. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be water, and there were seas, and there was land. And God said, let there be birds, and let there be fish, and there was. God created the heavens and the earth. But everything changes in verse 26 when God created man. See, up until verse 26, every time God created something, it always says or always refers to God in the singular. It says God said or God spoke, and it's always in the singular. And it says, okay, so God made, and then suddenly it began to appear. But when God created man, Genesis chapter 1 no longer refers to God in the singular. No, 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 no. Now the Bible and God refers to himself in the plural. He says, let us make man in our image. I want you to get this. I want you to hear this. There was something about mankind that drew the Trinity out of God through the great creation account. You don't see it anywhere else. It doesn't happen when he's making birds. It doesn't happen when he's doing animals. It doesn't happen when he's putting land together or he's making seas. None of that happens. But when he begins to make man, suddenly something that the Trinity begins to come out of who he is. It begins to be seen. And that is so very important. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Duh, Pastor Michael. Everyone knows that verse 26 talks about God in the plural. I mean, that's one of the main verses that Christians use to be able to prove the Trinity. But it's so much more than that. Think about this for a second. If God was singular and he, he wasn't a trinity, that would mean that relationships of love would have been something that he had created. See, see follow me here, because this is so important. You cannot have love with just one person. Okay, love is selfless. Love is giving. Love prefers other people over itself. Read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and try to do that with just one person. It's not possible. That's not what love is. See, if you want to have love, listen to me, you have to have a relationship. And God, get this, didn't create love and relationships. God is love. And the Trinity is the source of intimate, personal relationships. The Trinity is the most loving and intimate relationship ever. The Father honors the Son. The Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit accomplishes the will of the Father and the Son. The Trinity is the most perfect personal communion of honor, submission, of knowing and being known. And the Bible says that we have been created in the image of a Trinity. Which means relationships are not secondary to human life. They are primary. Relationships don't enrich our lives, but according to the Bible, they are the meaning of our lives, which is so counterintuitive in our world, isn't it? Because to us, relationships are just a means to an end. I use relationships to get what I want. I befriend certain people because I like what they can offer me. 
I, I try my best to connect with people at my job because I want my next promotion. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You're missing it. Relationships are not a means to the end. Relationships are the end. They're all about what God is about. They are who God is. In fact, let me put this up on the screen so you can see it. We were created to be in relationships with other people. Why? You ready for this? Because we were created in the image of an us, not a me. We were created in the image of a community. Are you ready? Not a person. Oh, that blew my mind as I was praying and thinking and studying about this last week. I've not been created in the image of a person. No, no, no. All through the creation account, God was singular, but when he makes man, suddenly the Trinity steps up on those pages and we see that I'm not created in the image of a person. I am created in the image of a community. That's wild. But let's take it even a step further. Will you guys keep with me just a little bit? Let's, let's break this all down. God said that it's not good for man to be alone. All through the creation account, every time God created something, what does it say? It was good. It was good. It was good. And then in verse 26, God creates man and it says, it is not good. God created something that was not good. Now, that doesn't mean that God made a mistake. That's not what it's saying. It means that God created something, you ready for this? That's incomplete. It was incomplete. It is not good for man to be alone. That, that statement this last week as I'm praying, and start, that boggled my mind. Why? Because Adam was living in paradise. Everything was perfect around him. I mean, think about it. Adam was completely secure. He never had to worry about his protection or his provision. He never had to worry about whether or not he had enough money in his checking account or whether or not he'd be able to pay his bills. He didn't have one drop of anxiety. Let that sink in. Do you know what it's like to be able to live with no anxiety, no fear, nothing? I trade you all in to get that. <laughs> and Adam had it. He was living in paradise, and not only was everything perfect around him, the whole world was perfect around him. Everything was perfect. Adam never heard one bit of bad news. Okay, okay. There was no such thing as global warming. There was no such thing as crime in his neighborhood. There was no such thing as wars. There was no such thing as food shortages. There was no such thing as natural disasters. Adam never had to be afraid of anything. He never had to hoard food and toilet paper because of a pandemic or a famine that was coming. He never knew any of that. And then, and then let's top it all off. Because if that's not amazing enough, then he had the perfect prayer life with God. This part blows my mind because there was no such thing as sin that would make him feel guilty or ashamed. There was nothing that would make him run and hide from the presence of God. He had no misconceptions of God's love or of God's faithfulness or of God's goodness. No misconceptions whatsoever. He had a perfect prayer life without anything going wrong around him, without any anxiety, without any natural desire. I mean, this guy was living it up. 
perfect, unobstructed, personal communion with God. Everything was perfect. Everything was at peace. And yet in that perfect situation, in that perfect environment, Adam was lonely. He literally went to bed hurting inside and he'd wake up and he would feel incomplete. Does that blow your mind? That like messes me up when I really begin to think about it. You know, I've watched so many people over the years walk through these doors and they come and they attend a few services and many of them will come up with me after service and they're very kind, they're very kind and they'll say things like, Pastor Michael, Pastor Michael, the presence of God is here. I mean, there's life in the worship and the preaching speaks to our hearts. We, we haven't been fed like this in a very, very long time. And they say, this, this church has the right mission. You're sending missionaries out all over the world. This church is rooted in prayer. You guys are always praying. You have God's heart. His spirit is working at the altar calls. I've been up here. It's been working inside of me. But as the months and the weeks go by, I watch as those very same people who share all those things and say all those things. They come in every Sunday, they go in and out, but they never connect. They never get involved in the church. They have no real community. They don't serve anywhere. They don't attend a community group. And over time, nine times out of 10, they end up leaving and they go somewhere else. Now how can so someone who's being ministered to so powerfully, week after week through the worship and the word, leave and just go somewhere else? It would boggle my mind. I would say, I don't understand. They're coming up to me and say, this is the place that my kid got delivered off of drugs. This is the place that literally I came up to the altar and suddenly the Lord touched me and, and finally I felt like this, just, this weight just lifted off my shoulder. This is the place. This is the place in the prayer meetings where I see we finally come into the burden of God. I, I'd listen to all these things and then I'd watch as they leave and they'd go and they'd end up attending somewhere else and I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. And then I realized, it doesn't matter how perfect the church is. Just like Adam in paradise, everything could be exactly the way that it should be. But if you don't get connected to community, if you don't have any relationships with any people, if you don't make that a priority, it doesn't matter how perfect the church is. It doesn't matter if it's paradise. It doesn't matter if God's presence and power is moving. It will never be enough for you. I'm not saying that this is a perfect church. Trust me, it's not. <laughs> I know I have to pastor it. It's not a perfect church. But even if you were able to find a perfect church, it will never be able to minister to you where you need it the most if you don't fling yourself into relationships with other people. Not in a million years. You'll keep coming back and saying, why am I not changing? Why am I not growing? Why am I not seeing victory? Why am I not finding peace? Why is this not happening? I want you to write this down. I'm gonna put it up on the screen. God created us with such a deep need for human relationships that even paradise could not satisfy it. 
even a perfect quiet time with God could not satisfy it. God made us need other people so much that even he could not satisfy us. God was there with Adam. He walked with him in the cool of the day and it was out of God's own mouth that it's not good that man should be alone. That means God is saying there's something in this man that I've created through my image of the Trinity that I put inside of him that even I can't satisfy. That boggles my mind. God has made us in the image of a community. There are things that God wants to show us and things he wants to give us, but they can only come through other human beings. They can only come through community. You know, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, anyone ever read that book before? A few of you have read it. Lewis writes about his two closest friends. He, he talks about Charles Williams and he talks about Ronald uh, Tolkien. Many of you guys know Tolkien. He, he wrote what? He wrote Lord of the Rings, right? And he speaks about these two closest friends, but Lewis and Charles and Tolkien, they used to spend hours together at a pub at, out in Oxford. There, there was a pub that was called The Eagle and Child. And it's where they would hang out. And you know what they would do? They would spend hours and they would talk about their stories. They would talk about Narnia. They would talk about Lord of the Rings. And they would help each other build out these incredible trilogies and these stories together. And it must have been an incredible sight to behold. But unfortunately, Charles actually died unexpectedly. And the trio became a duo. And, and Lewis actually writes. He writes down how Charles's death changed and affected his relationship with Tolkien. It was interesting because Charles was actually, or Lewis was actually heartbroken when Charles died. He, he, he was really broken up about it, but he tried to console himself. And one of the ways that he tried to console himself is he, he thought this thought. He thought, well, now that Charles is gone, now I'll actually have more time and I'll have more of my friend, Tolkien, to myself. He won't be there anymore interrupting our conversation. He won't be there anymore messing up my story. He's out of the picture, and now me and Tolkien, I could get more of the friend, my other friend, that I've always enjoyed. But this is amazing. See, C.S. Lewis found out that the opposite was actually true, and he wrote about it in his book, The Four Loves. In fact, let me put it up on the screen. This is what he wrote, and I want you to see it. It's, it's so profound. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights that my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald or Tolkien's reaction to a Charles joke. He says, I'll never see that part of him ever again. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that there's certain dynamics in relationships where you need other people in the relationship to be able to bring out things in the friend that you're connected with. You can't do it yourself. There's part of their personality. There's part of their whole core of who they are that different facets and different personalities and different ways of seeing things brings out of that person that you can't get from just you being with them by yourself. And, and, and C.S. Lewis is saying, I didn't understand this until my friend Charles died, and then I saw it firsthand. See, there are parts of God that you can only experience through human relationships and through community. You can't get it any other way. You could spend hours in prayer in your prayer closet. You could fast for days. You could read the Bible until your eyes are sore, but you will never know him fully. 
You will never experience the life and the joy and the hunger for God that you hear about in church until you devote yourself in getting to know other Christians and letting other Christians actually know you. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen any other way. That's why it's one of the greatest privileges of getting to serve in an elder-run church because I have learned so much about God by hearing other leaders' prayer lives and how God speaks to them and the burdens that God places on their hearts and the things that they have learned about God through the experiences and the trials that they have walked through. All of that revelation didn't come just from this alone. It came from sitting in these meetings. It came from praying with other people. And through that, it has made me a much more well-rounded leader. It has actually caused me to grow up in the Lord much faster than if I would have done it alone. And it's called me to have a more well-balanced understanding of who God actually is. So much so that that would never have happened in just my personal prayer time alone or me trying to make decisions by myself or me trying to process through leadership responsibilities by myself. It doesn't happen like that. Now, I'm not saying my prayer time's not important. I'm not saying my word time is not important, but most of the time, 90% of the time, the word and prayer is just to get my heart right so I can have a relationship with you. I got to go back here and get my source from him so that I could come back out and I could walk in how I was created to walk in as a community and not a person. <sighs> Many of the breakthroughs and the wisdom you're looking for for your families, for your children, for your businesses, for your jobs, for your next steps in life, they will only be discovered as you devote yourself to being part of a community. <laughs> when you make the choice to get to know other Christians and you dedicate yourself to getting involved in their lives. I run into people sometimes, no one in this church obviously. They're on like their 10th church. They've been here for like four years in the city. And they can't connect, they're like, and you know what they're looking for? They're looking for, they say, I'm looking for the breakthrough. I'm looking for God to move. I'm looking, but I'm like, dude, it ain't gonna happen if you keep running around the city. You gotta connect somewhere. That, that's not how it's gonna happen. You think it's gonna happen through inspiring preaching? No way. You think it's gonna happen just from me getting up here or the worship team or having good music? No. You gotta devote yourself to the community of believers. You have to get involved in places and people's lives. That's where that wisdom comes from. That's where that revelation comes from. That's where that breakthrough comes from. You ever deal with people that are so doctrinally good that they're a mess in relationships? They got it all, man. They got everything dot and, and crawled. They, they, hey, I know this, I know this. I, but they can't hang out with anybody because everybody's doing everything wrong all the time. They're just, just like they are the Debbie Downer of Debbie Downers. It's like, dude, just relax. I'm still learning, I'm still growing. And if you have anything or any uh, opposing uh, view, suddenly it's like, it's like there's this tension that just comes into the room. Now, I'm not talking about heresy. That's not what I'm talking about. Of course we stand up for that. But I'm going to talk about just doctrinal differences. My goodness, man. I'll put it up on the screen. This is my last thing I'll put up there, and then we'll begin to close. You cannot know and grow into the image of a God without community. 
You cannot grow into his wisdom and courage and boldness and love. How many of you need courage right now? How many of you need boldness? I need boldness. You cannot grow into the image of someone who is not just a me, but an us as an individual. Now here's the million dollar question. Why is being part of a community and building relationships with other Christians so hard? Anyone ever find it hard to get connected with people? You ever wonder why? Well, today I'm going to give you the answer. Are you ready? Because Satan wars against it. He literally wars against it. Get that in your mind. He doesn't just fight. He wars. And he wars through the same way we talked about two weeks ago. He wars through accusations and lies. See, Satan knows that if he could keep us in a place of being separated from the community of believers, if he could keep us in this place of isolation, he knows that the trials and the persecution and the mess that he is pouring out all over the world before Christ returns, he knows it will cause our love and our faith in God to ultimately fail. He knows it with everything in us. He knows that we've been created in the image of an us and not an image of a me. And we will never be able to resist the discouragement and the fear that he's pouring out all over the place if we just stay as a me and we actually don't grow into an us. He knows it. He understands this word better than we understand it. He knows he was there during the creation account. He watched the Trinity come out when mankind was made. He saw the, the change even in the dialogue, in the language. He saw it all right before his own eyes. He knew, he's saying, if I could just get them separated from one another, if they just stay in a place of isolation, if they just come to hear a bunch of sermons and that's all they ever do, and they don't actually connect with one another, they don't start living life with one another, they don't go camping on hunting trips or do what Pastor Michael likes to do, going to the Caribbean islands with each other, whatever it is, if they don't start living life with each other, whatever it might be, he knows, he knows that you will never be able to overcome and to have joy and to have life and to have power with the mess that he's unleashing across the world. And one of the lies that Satan uses to rob our joy and to rob our life is that relationships, listen to this, that relationships are too exhausting. They're not worth it. He lies to us. He tells us that God would never want us to be uncomfortable in church. He speaks that lie and it resonates inside us. We say, ooh, that sounds good. And we start agreeing with it. So we believe that church is supposed to be a place that we always feel comfortable and it's supposed to be a place that we're always safe. And relationships are not safe. Relationships sometimes expose us. Relationships sometimes get us hurt. Relationships sometimes, honestly, can be a waste of our time. Anyone invest into someone, you've given everything you could give, and they just literally go off, and they don't even say thank you. <laughs> and they go back to everything you've tried to get them out of. So what does he do? He convinces us by lying to us that we need to guard our privacy 
that we have to be careful not to join anything. That church, listen to me, that church is really about big groups and inspiring preaching and good music. Church is about going to classes. That's it. And Christianity is about reading good books and listening to podcasts. Christianity is all about you. It's about your prayer life. It's about your word life. It's about your thought life. And the sad truth is we buy into the lie and we begin to agree with it. And you know what happens? It weakens us. It weakens us. Listen to me, Springs Church, and I, I need you to get this. And this is, I know people don't want to hear this anymore. I don't even want to say it. I feel like I should just send an email. <laughs> the world's not going to get better. 2024 has got challenges ahead. But God has a joy for you that can overcome that. Amen. He's got a, a life for you that can overcome it. You know, a number of years ago, and many of you know my story, my wife and I, we felt the Lord asking us to lay down everything. Ministry, Colorado, everything. And it was a hard decision. We, we went to some of the elders. I went to some of the overseers. I went to Nikki. Gloria, I went to Nikki. I said, Nikki, this is what I feel like God's calling me to do. What should I do? And he agreed. He said, no, this is what God's calling you need to do it. So my wife and I laid down everything. We went to our executive pastor, our senior pastor at the time, and we said, we just, we don't feel like we're supposed to continue on in ministry anymore. We don't know why. Have no clue. They looked at me. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I went this far with the Lord thinking this was the ride. And it seems like he's asking me to get off. And I remember I, I had these months. It was about, th was it three months, honey? I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. And I ended up hanging out with a buddy in town. He builds motorcycles. So I'd go over his garage and I'd sit in his, his shop and we would just play around on the, the motorcycle. And he knew my story. He knew what was going on. He wasn't a Christian. And one day as I'm working on one of the bikes, he kind of looks at me and he says, what is wrong with you? I said, what do you mean what's wrong with me? He said, you don't have a job. You don't have money that's coming. And you're sitting here and you have a smile on your face. You're working on motorcycles. I hear you singing in the corner. Like, what is going on with you? If this was me, I wouldn't be building motorcycles. I'd be selling motorcycles. You know, he's like, what are you doing? And I remember I got to sit with him. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't get this. My job is not my provider. My God is my provider. I've given my life to him. He rules and reigns over it, and he'll lead me where I need to go next. And even if I miss it, even if I mess up and I have an honest heart, he'll get me where I actually need to go. He'll fix every one of my mistakes because that's how good he is. And this buddy of mine looked at me and he said, oh my gosh. He said, can I come to church? <laughs> Came to church, him and his wife, family got saved. It was beautiful, it was amazing. But I want you to understand something. Just because the world is falling apart out there doesn't mean you have to be falling apart in here. You should be overcoming. You should have joy. You should live with peace in your heart. You should literally have a song in your step, even when things are difficult. You should have such a revelation of God's goodness. You should have a, such a faith that's building in your heart. But the reason some of you don't is because it doesn't come from being just a me. You gotta become an us. The reason you don't have it is because you're still trying to function in the image of an I instead of functioning in the image of a relationship and a trinity. That's what you were created for. And until you actually do it and you make effort and you devote yourself, you can't walk in the life that God always intended you to walk in. Read all you want. Pray all you want. And trust me, I believe in those things. And you're going to get probably 52 sermons next year just about that. But it's still not enough. 
All of that is to grow you up into the image of God. Does that make sense? Oh. So Pastor Michael, what do I do? Help me here. I'm new to the church or I've been here for a number of years and I kind of drown you out until you preach and half of that I drown out anyways. So what do I do? Well, let me give you some easy, easy action steps. Let me put this up on the screen. This is our app. On our app, we actually have a connect button at the very bottom of the app. It says connect. And if you go to that connect button, you'll see community groups. Every one of our community groups is actually listed with a picture of the very people that are leading this community group. Now, community groups, what they do is they meet in homes throughout the week and they have meals together and they build relationships with one another and they go over the word from Sunday morning. They fix everything that Pastor Michael said that was wrong. They go through everything. See, no, that wasn't right, that wasn't right, that wasn't right, whatever it is. And they spend time with each other and they build into each other's lives. And if you click on any one of these community group leaders, this is amazing, watch this. This is how awesome the app is. Then you get not just their names, but their address and you get an email and some of them even have their phone numbers. You could text them at like one o'clock in the morning. No, just kidding, don't do that. Don't do that. That's the quickest way for you to be in isolation for the rest of your life. Let me just... But you could send an email and you could say, you know what, I'm a little shy about coming. I, I, I'm not good with groups sometimes, but, but I just want to give you a heads up. I want to do this and I just want you to know I'm going to be there next week. And they'll send you an email back and say, we'd love to have you. And it begins to build a little bit of some communication so that you feel okay. You're not so nervous to be able to go get connected into the community group. That man, oh my gosh, when we get to heaven, God's gonna be like, hey, hey, I did it all for you. I gave you a whole app. I put it all there with the whole list. Not only do we have apps, and not only do we have community groups, you can serve in this church. The same app will actually say serve, and you can serve, and you can be a part of children's ministry or youth ministry, or you can help with the men's ministry or the women's ministry. There's so many places that you can serve. You can help on the security team and you can hang out with guys with guns, which people love to do for some reason in Colorado. It's so weird to me, so far. You never had people just walking around with guns in New Jersey, but here it's cool. All right. You get, to, you get to wear a gun. You want that community? Bless you. But you could be a part of one of these. You could serve or you could come out to Wednesday nights and be part of our midweek prayer meeting where we pray together. You know how good prayer with each other is? It actually forms bonds and relationships 10 times quicker than just hanging out and shooting guns with each other because you hear each other's heart. You bond in the spirit. It's so powerful. You could come out on Wednesday nights and you could be part of the prayer meeting. Whatever it is, I believe God is urging us today going into 2024 to make it a priority. Would you stand with me, Springs Church? Can we do this? Can we just have a moment of worship together? And I'd like to just take a moment just to pray and get the mind of God. And then I want to come back and I want to pray for us as a congregation. But would you take a moment just to worship the Lord as a congregation, a people together, not just an individual, all our voices be heard. And then I'll come back and I'll close with a word of prayer. Father, I pray for your people this morning, Lord. I know what it feels like to have daggers in your back Lord, but more importantly, you know what it feels like. You know what it was to, to love and to give and to be betrayed and to be hurt. You know what it was to deal with immaturity with your own disciples and with us. That at a moment when it was hard, we, we turned our backs on you or we accused you or we slandered you. 
So you know what this is, God. You didn't sit up on a throne and not go through it. You came down the earth to experience it all, knowing that you were gonna call us to be a community and knowing that you would have to know how to minister. Not that you're not all knowing, but to actually go through the experience itself. Somehow, Lord, according to the book of Hebrews, makes you a high priest that can minister to our needs as well. So God, I pray for those that have been hurt. I pray for bitter roots that are already starting to grow in hearts, that are already starting this place of, I want justice. I want that person to know what they did to me. I want them to pay back their debts of what they've caused. They made me feel hurt. They made me feel broken. They feel, God, I pray that by your mercy, you would come now and you would show them, I paid that debt. You'd show them your blood. I took it. Here it is. It's paid. It's released. It's done. Let me heal your heart. Let me heal your heart. And God, by the work of your Holy Spirit now, I pray for healing to be released in this room. I pray you would touch everyone, the bitterness, the hurt, the feeling like I can't do it anymore, God. And in your mercy, you would gently, by your goodness and your grace, bring back your lambs into the fold. Say, no, you could come back. You could come back. You could reconnect. You can open up your heart again. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Father, I pray for that. Holy Spirit, I come to you today with the thought that the Lord put on my heart as I woke up in prayer. It was that thought of Jesus on the cross crying out, I thirst. And Lord, I believe with everything in me, that wasn't just a physical thirst. He was thirsting for something more. He was thirsting for his bride. He was on the cross and saying, now because of this, I get my bride. I get my church. I thirst. I thirst. I thirst for my bride. And Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would make us the bride that he thirsts for that you would heal our hearts, you would make us the community that he's growing us up to be so that when we finally come to that place of seeing him face to face, that he would look into our eyes and we would be prepared as a body for him. We'd say we grew up not just into a me, but in us. We grew up into the image that you created us to be. We were made into this image and we have now found it through the grace of the Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour it out. And in this year ahead, you would build community in this house in greater and greater measures, Lord God. And I pray it would make this house stronger. It would make this house filled with joy. I pray it would cause people to triumph in victory, God. I pray that we'd come into everything that you desire us to have, that you want us to experience, but can only be experienced through the relationship of the image of your Trinity as we engage our hearts in knowing one another. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, I commit this to you now. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause this morning. Let's thank him for his goodness. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.